Jim, did Jim grow, like, did you grow some more of your, uh, your goatee in there? Because you used to just be the stash. It used to just be the, uh, the soul patch. Yeah, so at first I had just the thin mustache and the triangle, yeah. and then I shaved it all off, and then I like let my facial hair grow out, and they just kind of shaved off the cheeks. So I mean, this is this is pretty much what I looked like last week, except you know it's grown a bit more. But yeah, I went back to my old goatee. You know what? Yeah, makes... to... Sorry. No, I was saying I was trying to rock that for a minute there, but then I just decided to go full beard, like Ian over here. Mm-hmm. I was trying to do a full beard, and eventually it got to the point where I was just like. I can't do this, and I shaved it off to where it is right now. See, for me, it's like after three or four days, there's enough stubble that it's just uncomfortable and itchy. I'm like, screw it, just shave cheeks and neck, and then just go back to the goatee. See see what you got to do. You got to start getting um, the beard creams. That's when when you got to start putting those on there. I've I've got like the oils and stuff, and I don't know. So you know what? Uh, And then you also you need to get beard wash. You get beard wash and beard conditioner. Start using it as soon as you get the stubble. Yeah, seriously, though. Like, you start growing up. I think Ian's got something to say here. I know. I keep cutting them off on purpose. So, okay. I'm literally just going to talk through you at this point. You know what makes for great content? Talking about what we can see on the video for an audio-only podcast. That makes for great content. That's what I knew he was going to say. Very first statement in our very first episode is Nathan asking about my facial hair. I think we're kind of keeping up the trend. Yeah, let's let's make it a pack. Hey, everyone listening to the audio, watch this. (laughs) Welcome back to the Beard Bros podcast. Today we are talking about Ian's beard. Ian, doing... my beard bro, tell us about your glorious beard. Well, as you can see, I've I've colored this side more more like an orange style. The other side over here, we're going for more of a blue contrast. And as you can see, uh, my mustache is actually a color that's never been described by anyone in humanity ever before. And you can't actually, like, see it through the visible eye. So at the moment, my upper lip, as you can see on the video, is completely invisible. What? This is an audio podcast? Uh Uh-oh. Why would you lie to our audience like that, Ian? Shame on you. We could totally see your mustache. I can see that middle finger you are pointing towards the screen, (laughs) my friend. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ian is currently raising his little finger. I have no idea what you're talking about. You can't prove that because this is an audio podcast and we're talking about visual things. Yeah, I thought that was his mustache. I was curious as to why it was vertical. Anyway, uh, Sean, why don't you introduce the podcast? Yeah, I'm going to do that right now. What's up, listeners? You're catching yet another episode of the Just Catching Up podcast. I am your host, Sean, and you are tuning into the podcast where me and the JCU crew get together to just catch up. Each and every episode, one or more of us will bring a topic of discussion, which all of us will do a deep dive into our thoughts, opinions, and possibly this time, Jim's deepest, most perverted fantasies. Oh, please. Oh, please. Yes. Let's let's just dive straight in. But before we dive straight in today, I did want to make a very special statement concerning the very special time that we're actually in right now. Uh, you know, I cl- I've cleared this with you guys earlier this week because uh, it was important that we kind of get something out there in, in light of uh, what's going on right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty going on right now. There's a lot of uh, contention. There's a lot of uh, discord and discourse going on right now. Uh, so we wanted to take a moment to just kind of reflect on that and then just uh, 
make a, make a certain statement here. So I'm going to go ahead and read the statement that I prepared. Uh, and it's uh, entitled a statement for trying times. So in light of not only recent events, but also the clear and present pattern of biased and disproportionately negative treatment of African-Americans by members of our own justice system and the woeful lack of appropriate effective reforms by said system. We of the JCU podcast want to take this time to firmly establish ourselves as allies to the cause of peacefully rectifying these injustices wherever they may be. We firmly believe that while every single life does matter, those of our black and brown brothers and sisters here in America are particularly endangered at this time. That being said, we wish to firmly and unequivocally state that black lives matter. We do not view this as a political statement, but as an undeniable, self-evident, and objective truth. We refute and vehemently oppose any viewpoint that seeks to diminish or object to this truth. While we do not intend for this podcast to regularly deal with matters of such weight and great importance, we do also believe that there are moments when it is important to stand up for your values and have yourself be counted among those who stand for those same values as well. And that was the end of the statement. So excellent. I just, want, just wanted to get that out there so that everybody knows where we stand and that everybody is aware. So, you know, we don't get any kind of uh, no discourse in relation to that sort of thing going on. We want to make sure that everybody knows that, you know, we are firmly on, we have, we firmly take a side in that particular argument because we believe that that's the humane thing. That's the humane side of the argument. We believe we want to be on the right side of history. And that is the, uh, the, the arc of history that we believe bends towards justice. And we want to stand on that side of the moral arc of history. So I just wanted to make sure that we stood there and you guys were always very supportive in me writing that statement and looking that over and agreeing with that so i really want to thank you guys for doing that yeah well i couldn't have said it better myself sean yeah so beautifully said my friend beautifully thank said you, that was fantastic all right so uh moving on we're gonna jump into today's topic and today's topic is the trial of game of thrones oh boy it's the state of nerd culture versus game of thrones <laughs> our <laughs> guest today district attorney the Ian does not concern itself with the opinions of the sheep. Yes, serving I, as the state's prosecutor. Yes, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be the prosecutor today, and I believe I've got many, many good statements as to, um, yeah, I'm gonna. I, I what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we also have Counselor Nathan ring the bell so I can burn down this whole town's for the defense. <laughs> So, uh, in, in, in true uh, legal mode, I am not going for an innocent verdict. I'm going for a not guilty verdict. <laughs> <laughs> Already he's trying to split hairs. <laughs> look, look, what, what Nathan's trying to say is that the crowd didn't fit, so you got to acquit. <laughs> We've also got additional consultant counsels like our good friend who's got a better story than Jim the Broken. Really? You're, 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 you're okay. Hi, I'm Jim the Broken. I firmly believe that Game of Thrones was good. And so you can probably guess whose side I'll be on this, this time. <laughs> and also joining us for the first time on the podcast, a man's name is Caleb. Hey, guys. <laughs> Um, I actually agree that like, Game of Thrones was good, but that finale kind of 
broke it into making it a cinematic event and not storytelling. And All right. That's where I'm going to start. All right. So we've got our start. We've got our opening statements from each of these gentlemen that have gone forth. And of course, as you know, I will be presiding over today's proceedings. But what else should you expect? This case knows no judge but the judge in the north whose name is Sean. So, aren't you in the east, though? <laughs> I mean, technically, yeah, you're out in New York or uh, Washington. Well, yeah, if you're, well, if you're in the north, then you're. Well, technically, I am in D.C., which, as I understand it, is north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> Barely. So you're you're at the neck. You're you're uh, okay. Reed. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm just at. The, I'm just. I'm just north enough to qualify as being. In the I north. guess you are in North America, so we'll give you that. <laughs> I'm like in the I'm, northern I'm, hemisphere. I'd, I'd be. I'd be north. I'd be north of the river. Or wait, no, hold on. I'd yeah. be north of the neck. <laughs> yeah, you'd be. <laughs> I'd be north of the neck. in the neck. You'd be in the swamplands. <laughs> Are there any swamps in? Uh, I mean, yeah. there. Remember the, I mean, the people, besides uh, you know the, the, the proverbial to, one. There's the one that was supposed to be drained. Perfect. <laughs> no, perfect. remember, remember the two um, yeah. the two siblings that went and helped Bran. I can't remember their names all of a sudden. Mira and Jorgen. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell I am the Uber nerd as far as uh Game of yes. Thrones and a saga of ice and fire goes. Nathan knows all the names. I know all the names. I have like Christopher to, Botley. I just have to ask, am I gonna be the only one who's gonna be anti this entire thing? No, I think yes. Caleb's uh on your side. But I also wow. feel like so here's the thing. I feel like the gap between us isn't that big. We all agree that it wasn't great it wasn't amazing it wasn't the best game of thrones but i think we also all agree that it was not the worst thing we've ever seen which is what its reputation is and that's why can i go ahead and just start my spiel okay 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 hold on, hold on. order 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 <laughs> my i am the judge of the order in my courtroom okay this, this is not going to be a trial by combat. We're going to have rules. <laughs> rules Dang it. it. Oh, I want really? a trial by combat. <laughs> I want to see Ian and Nathan fight it out. <laughs> Mountain and the Viper, round two. <laughs> get get no justice here. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> the gods is right. Okay, well, I pulled out a magic deck. Is this is this going to be good enough for a trial by combat? Nathan, can you beat a Brea deck? Four-color Brea? Uh. What God damn it. does the Godzilla magic card uh, beat the it's, whatever that is? It's I mean, land. I got some Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon cards if you want to do that. It's a land. The Godzilla lands. Are you talking about those? So can you beat my blue eyes white no dragon? Idea. Exactly. Or, or my Lugia. Yes, Lugia. Nathan, there not are my area of nerddom. Yes, Nathan, there are Matt. There are Godzilla magic cards. They're alternate arts for magic creatures basically so it's not really godzilla it's a dude who looks like godzilla oh and... it's like the the breath of the wild is a sandbox game with the zelda um <laughs> <laughs> art style those are uh magic the gathering cards with the godzilla art style yes absolutely yes uh, absolutely. Sh shall we return uh, i i beg the audience of the court shall we return to game of thrones Please. Okay, you know what? You know what, Jim? You know what? You 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 gonna you and me are gonna have a talk in chambers after after <laughs> recess. You're, okay. You're in contempt of court. We and your contemptible, your contemptible mustache. <laughs> Order in this courtroom. My original topic for today was tentacle porn. How many tentacles is too many? We're getting nowhere. Look, okay. We're getting nowhere. That, 
what what I do in the privacy of my own home is none of your business. <laughs> you all stay out of you all stay out of it. Order in this courtroom. Don't make me go British. Order. <laughs> Order, I say. Order. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so as per proper courtroom proceedings, I do believe it is the prosecution who should take the floor first, if I'm not mistaken. So, Ian, go ahead, lay it on me. What is your case against Game of Thrones? The big issue with Game of Thrones is that, well, uh, one of the first of many arguments that I have against this show is the idea that George R.R. R. Martin, the original writer, had written a series with the idea... with this concept of being sort of the anti-fantasy genre. He wanted to take everything that he had seen from J.R.R. Tolkien and from every other fantasy that we had seen of, uh, of medieval magic and whatnot, and he wanted to try and make something that was, so an- that was an antithesis to what, the, to what we had already seen. And so he wanted to try and shatter our expectations with that, with the concepts and ideas that a main character can just straight up die and then not be in the series for the rest of the show. One of the big issues that I have with the show is that in as time went on, he kind of laid into that whole any character can die at any point, so it made it impossible to get attached to any one person at any time but that he sneakily at the same time had a handful of characters who had plot armor the entire time. And even when it came down to a point where certain characters could have and should have been killed off Jon Snow, uh, he brought them back in a deus ex machina manner that made everything feel so cheap. That like maybe his original concept and his original thesis really didn't come into play at all, and all he really wanted to do was just be a sadistic bastard and kill off a bunch of really interesting characters without without any morals or any sort of like belief structure in you know it pissed me off is what it did. I was gonna, I was, gonna, I was waiting on Nathan to offer an objection on the grounds of sucking in, but <laughs> uh, if it. Listeners are unaware, uh, prior to season five of Game of Thrones, and I I actually have a whole rebuttal to your argument there, Ian, but Mm -hmm. before we get to that sidebar, before season five of Game of Thrones, or was it six, season six, um, Ian was convinced that Jon Snow was not going to come back. And Sean and I... Utterly convinced. It was, and it was, Sean was and no, I, there was no arguing with him. We, we, we basically, we knew he was coming back. And uh, we started a facetious hashtag, which is probably <laughs> a bit problematic. And I apologize for this. Where we would, as soon as Jon Snow came back, hashtag suck it in. Yeah, it was, it was good. And then we continued that hashtag for, for like years. Years. <laughs> the rest of the, the rest of the show, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, okay, okay, fine. In in, in light of your in, in in incredible sportsmanship in regards to the hashtag of suck it Ian, I would like to take this moment and this moment now to officially one hundred percent declare that the hashtag has been retired. You are it safe. Has not only been retired, it's been assassinated, and we assassinated it. We assassinated it with extreme prejudice that we blew up the body. <laughs> Jim, you are in contempt of court with that. <laughs> you are. You're in contempt of so, court. So Jim's post, for those of you who you know can't see the video because we're not recording video, Jim is posting hashtag suckity and hashtag suckity and heart emoji, heart emoji in the chat. 
for the record, I don't think the chat would show up in the video unless you said it to maybe. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Videos, it, it is. It, At least it, that's my experience with these. It is actually showing up in the video. In fact, I might just keep this. <laughs> Fine. You, know you know what? You know what? For 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 the record. I'm holding Jim in contempt of court for that particular maneuver. Hey, I sent a heart emoji. Does that not, like, no. absolve any issues? It does not. We'll, no. we'll have a sidebar after, <laughs> after at first recess, okay? You, with you, you and trying to get me back there for a sidebar, what are you trying to do? You don't know. <laughs> All right. Is it time for uh, the defense to... Uh... Yeah, it's, it, it is actually time for defensive statements. All right. Defense well, counsel, please proceed. So... I think that Ian and I have a different scope of this trial. He seems to be putting the entirety of Game of Thrones and furthermore, the entirety of A Song of Ice and Fire by uh, American author George R.R. R. Martin on trial. My intent for this episode was merely season eight specifically of Game of Thrones is not as bad, as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Now, Sean, you are presiding over this court. What is your decision? Should we continue with the entirety of the intellectual property on trial, or are we going to narrow the focus to season eight? Uh, Your Honor, okay. I'm going to like... meet you both. I'm going to meet you both, both, way, both uh, halfway on this, on account of Ian's argument is still valid when it comes to the argument for season eight. We'll stick to season eight in particular for uh, the remainder of the case. Uh, however, I think that the argument still holds weight when it comes to season eight. That your, rhymed. Your uh, Honor, if... yes, I am. I am a rhyming attorney, but I'm the judge. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go ahead, Ian. <laughs> uh, if I may, I had prepared. Um, I had prepared arguments for the entirety of the series, but if we're just wanting to focus on season eight, then uh, I then I agreed to Nathan's terms that this entire argument will focus specifically on the eighth season of Game of Thrones. Okay. I am willing to narrow my arguments a bit if it helps if it helps the court proceedings. Yeah, and I think I... it would help because I don't think anybody really agree I don't think anybody really disagrees that the first seasons, especially like season one, two, three Four, especially like yeah, I don't think anybody disagrees that those seasons were actually pretty great television. Fantastic, except for except for Ian. Um, and I don't mind Ian if you bring in you know elements of the other seasons as like a setting up of it, but mm -hmm. I feel like if yeah, I'm go going to character, I think Can it's I a add... whole different thing if I'm going to be arguing George R. R. Martin's intent in starting the series in 1991. Or... I... I, I understand. Then I will. Then I will focus my uh, my arguments specifically on season eight. Can okay. I say that Both I do think are, that? Oh, can I say ahead. that I do think there is probably something worth mentioning regarding Martin's style and intent versus the showrunners yeah. uh, and what mm -hmm. they have created? Because I think there is certainly a point uh, around season five, season six, where season five, yeah, yeah, where you do see a noticeable change, and it's probably worth mentioning as part of the discussion as to why people found season eight as dissatisfactory as they did. So I do think that there's probably merit to bringing up those concepts. Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow that. So I'm going to go ahead and allow that. So, uh, but we're going to, we're specifically going to focus on season eight, but I think authorial intent, both from Martin and from uh, D and D both actually uh, qualify there as they're not necessarily doing anything that Martin didn't really intend to happen when it comes to overall right. events. Yeah. And we don't know since we haven't seen his final books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
if so there as, will be as far, final as far books, as, cough, cough. <clears throat> as far as far as we you know, will be. I'm dying on that hill. Maybe Martin <laughs> is too. Maybe he's not. Maybe <laughs> That's he's not. the problem, Nathan, is that he might be dying on that hill. Theoretic, theoretically, he could have, you know, formed a pact with the devil to write, you know, all these books, and he's com- purposely not completing the last books so as to not complete his contract with the devil and thereby save his immortal soul. <laughs> to, but, to live forever, and then when he's done, he'll publish it and be like, now I, now you can have my... Well, anyway, uh, back to... So, so anyway, now that I've established that we're doing Season 8, yeah. my argument isn't that Season 8 was... I would say it's on the whole good. I would give Season 8, like... A C plus B minus. Um, I would give, for um, comparison, I'd give seasons one, two, three, and four like A's to A pluses. Season five is probably like a B. Season six is probably a A minus. Season seven's like a B minus. So they're all passing grades, but season eight is definitely less good than any of the other seasons. But I also would argue that seasons five, to a lesser extent, six, but definitely five and seven are kind of on par with season eight to me. Um, so so that's my rating. And I would I, I pulled up uh, the website ratinggraph.com slash TV shows slash Game of Thrones dash ratings. Um, and on this, it kind of goes through IMDb and it has the ratings for each season and it averages them out, but it also graphs each specific episode on uh what would you call this a uh, a plot graph jim you could uh, uh they're on line graphs they're um, line graphs but anyway so season one two three and four um all 9.1 9.0 9.1 9.3 seasons five six seven eight are 8.6 9.1 9.1 and 6.4 and my the basic argument on my point of view is season eight, a little disappointing, but it was comparable to season seven and five and early season six. It's not a radical departure in terms of quality from those seasons. And that reason, in my opinion, that those seasons are all less good than seasons one through four is it goes beyond the books. So you, you have basically, in my, my eyes, uh, two different strata in terms of Game of Thrones. You have the immaculate perfection that is seasons one through four, which is based on the books. And then you have, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job of trying to vamp on his ideas and various plot points he gives them. And I just think that the fact that it was the last season, people overreacted. And even though it was approximately as good as season seven season five for an ending people felt that wasn't good enough and that they were expecting and i think unfairly expecting it to go back to season four levels of good can i add on to that a little bit yeah so this is how i kind of see regarding that the thing is from its from the beginning of in season one there is a long-standing tradition throughout the seasons of having major twists or reveals mm-hmm. surprises things people don't see coming the death of Ned Stark at the end of season one being the first big one of those, okay? Now, here's the thing. When we get to season eight, I don't feel like there were that many surprises. I feel like most of what happened is what you would expect to happen if you've been paying attention to the show regarding the main characters. There's a couple things that are like... I think there's really one they big one. There's one yeah. big one that people... And, and I, I'll get to that one because that's what I think makes a lot of people angry. And I won't say what it is yet. What, I, what I, I'm trying to not say any specific details either regarding season eight because I don't I don't know where you guys can go with this. But what I'm saying is I feel like 
similar to what Nathan was saying about people's expectations, when you're on the final season of a series and it's time to wrap things up, if you're going to be following a storyline that you have planned out, and you can tell from watching the show where things are heading, then some of those things aren't really going to be surprises, and it all ends up coming down to the delivery of that information. Some people, I think, expected there to be twists regarding characters that didn't come to fruition because it would have, frankly, come out of left field to have some of those twists. So I can understand the frustration, but I think people's expectations of the show regarding twists and reveals and um, may, and to some extent uh, dissatisfaction with how those expected outcomes came out, I think that's where a lot of that frustration with the season comes, uh, specifically looking at the lowest rated episode being the final episode, I think, if mm -hmm. I remember the graph correctly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I and think substantially that, lower than the next one. Oh, level. yeah, much lower than the others. I mean, the others were all kind of... Sorry, I'm trying to remember the information now because I'm not looking at it. Um, but every other season was pretty much on par with yeah every so other season the bulk of the episodes were between seven and eight with a couple around six but the very last episode was at about a four yeah. so that's a big drop for that one episode interesting caleb let's hear from you let me see let me see what you what, what's what's your what's your take on this so to kind of support the whole um plot armor kind of thing for certain characters and kind of wading into kind of like the um underwhelming ending for a lot of the characters um there's two characters that i felt like got happy endings that probably shouldn't have and i think for me that kind of made the rating for the final episode kind of go lower um, okay that's fair the two two of them they're they're both starks and um john snow and Arya, and i think that i don't think Arya's ending should have been her going off into the distance with the sun setting and all that like that should not have happened for her there's a lot of things that she did that i think that should have came back and bit her in the butt at the very end anyway mm, okay. and then i agree with that and then on for john snow i think um to bring it up he was brought back and for some that was a surprise and for some they saw it coming as expressed but as we look at the, the people that have been brought back um like for instance lord barrick he was brought back and he served a purpose and i think john snow was brought back to serve a purpose but like once he served that purpose nothing happened to him and i think there should have been you know an ending for him not just like he goes off beyond the wall and that's that's it you know? that's fair, <laughs> fair. I, I would say that sounds like there seems to be like a lack of closure for john uh in the end of the series being that if he's just gonna you know be a, if he just if he just came back specifically to kill daenerys and that i think that's what the show is establishing is his purpose was to kill daenerys and basically stop her from taking over the world uh where's the closure for his character it seems like he just gets to live you know or is you know because you know barrack doesn't get to live he served his purpose and died doing so so it seemed like you know maybe the dragon should have burned him but that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> it's true though because like i mean he, he gets banished to the north but i mean that's always where he was more comfortable anyway i i agree that like i feel like um John and to an extent Tyrion as well. I feel like there should have been more to their punishments, if anything. Like, part of me feels like maybe John and Tyrion should have been killed by the Unsullied. But I mean, 
I don't know. I'm hoping this is a case of Martin brought back snow for a reason relating to the lore and the mythologies that the showrunners didn't know what to do with or didn't know about. I'm hoping this is a show versus movie situation. Mm. Or sorry, show versus book situation. Sorry. Mm. Fair enough. So that's actually fascinating to me because those are not the characters I normally see uh, described as having unsatisfactory endings. Um, Well, I... uh, I'm, my satisfaction's like, I mean, I'm satisfied, but I kind of... Well, I I, I'm talking specifically about Caleb uh, talking about uh, oh, Arya and John. Now, Arya's yeah. ending is weird to me because it's clear in the books that the, he Martin's trying to set that up, and it's supposed to be kind of an analog to Frodo sailing to the West. Um, yeah. But it's not set up except for, like, one line in season six. And that's the ending that I, I, I agree. That's pretty lackluster. Um, they should have set that up more. Um, I'm okay with it as a concept. I'm not okay with the execution of that. Um, John Snow's ending, I'm actually really good with because that's like, like Jim said, where he's been happiest is in um, Beyond the Wall with the Wildlings. And I think that that's kind of a cool ending. It's kind of a, you know, he he gets to live, but it's, you know, not as king and not that he wanted to be king. Um, But uh, if I can get further into the ending, I I guess I'm going to not disagree with you on those and then argue with the arguments that I think most people make, the endings that most people dislike. Okay. Um, One of which... Oh, go ahead. Let's uh, let's go into that. I kind of want to go into uh, certain specific specific characters that I personally am a little conflicted on. One I want to start with is uh, the the Lannister twins. Mm-hmm. I want to discuss yeah. the Lannister twins because I feel like that ending was kind of conflicting. It's like, do I want them dead? Yes. Do I want them to die in that manner? I don't know. I want to discuss that. What are, what is everybody's feelings so on the Lannister that's twins? The ending it added that, some tragic to it. It did, but that's the ending that I think I dislike the most. Yeah, I'm lukewarm on Arya's. I actually like Jon's, but the the Lannister twins. In so there's the the whole um, Valonqar prophecy in the books. It's not actually in the show, and I clearly they did this because they didn't want to do this. But basically, that Cersei's younger brother would kill her. Um, after a, a younger, more beautiful queen took everything from her. And that's clearly now the prophecies referring to the younger, more beautiful queen being Daenerys. And um, in the books, she thinks it's Tyrion because that's her official younger brother, but she was the older of the two twins. Mm-hmm. So everyone and their mother thinks that um, her younger brother that kills her is going to be Jamie. I think what, and I, I think that's what's going to happen in the books. And I think that they realized that Jamie's redemption arc, and I think maybe they miscalculated on this, but they thought that Jamie's redemption arc would be tarnished and ruined and people would hate it if he did wind up killing Cersei in the show. So I mean, people felt up... that way anyway after he had sex with Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, well, and on that's a, a whole thing on, about directorial yeah. intent versus the way <laughs> something's perceived. And I think the director's intent in that was not clearly portrayed on screen. Um, But can I, I'm just going to, so I agree with the criticisms of that ending. I think that was kind of a, they didn't have the guts to go all the way with that. And it kind of came out as kind of mediocre. Like I said, I'm not saying the ending of season eight is great. I'm not saying it's a plus material. I'm saying it's 
I'm going to go with C plus. It's C plus material. Slightly worse than season seven, but not not a you know nine point one versus six. No, I'll um, be generous and give it a B minus. Um, I think the biggest problem people have with this, and this is where the real crux of my argument for why it's better than people say it is, is Daenerys's ending. Right? I was gonna Can go we there all next. agree? Did- so that's the most controversial ending to everyone. So the the big argument about Daenerys's ending, in my opinion, uh, meshes up with a lot of the other endings of these specific characters. It meshes up with Cersei and um, uh, Jamie's ending as well. It meshes up with uh, the ending for a lot of these characters is that the pacing of the final season is a bit too fast. Too many yes, things. I, I will agree with that. And it, and I don't know if it boils down to because there's information that we just don't have, but it boils down to the fact that the final two seasons were not the full ten episodes that they were scrunched mm-hmm. to. What was seven it? and six? Seven and six. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that we didn't get full seasons at the end made it feel like all of the loose threads that the showrunners, specifically the showrunners wanted to tie up before the show ended felt like they were rushed and because everything was rushed a lot of the characters felt very out of place i'm not saying that daenerys turning on the city at the very end wasn't uh the right idea for her i am saying that it was executed very poorly because there was no lead up to it it was just like she is benevolent she is nice she is here to Mm. help people and then all of a sudden oh hey let's just hurt let's just torch an entire town literally i'm about to torch innocent people this after... is where i'm going to disagree with you the most hmm. objection I agree i i will agree that it wasn't the smoothest character arc but to say that it she was benevolent from the get-go is not true at all now it's... hear me out here season one she um she asks she saves this lady uh from being raped and tortured by the dothraki and the lady says, thank you, but, you know, my friends are still killed. I was still raped. I'm still not your friend. And in, ter- in turn, the lady basically kills Khal Drogo. And what does Daenerys do? She burns her. This is season one. She burns her at the stake. That's not, hear me out. Season two, she um, burns the the warlocks and Karth. Her, this is, I'm going to make the argument, this has always been her character, this has always been her solution, is when she comes up against something that she cannot solve, she burns it. Season three, she burns the slave traders. That's, I mean, they even go over this in the show, that nobody balked at that because they were bad people. But she did still summarily execute people with fire. Season four, she, um, she, uh, crucified the the slave owners the yeah. masters mm-hmm. and marines season six she burned those people with the dragons season seven she she i mean and see i i think she burned the dothraki s- elders yeah and i think in season six seven and eight there was a very clear arc it may not have been the best executed arc but it's a very clear arc that's going from all right and this one she's burning people who are like slave traders and they're bad people season six she uh, burns the Dothraki. That's still, you know, arguable. 
Um, but then by season seven, the people she's burning, she's she's burning um, Samuel Tarley's younger brother. She didn't give like and like Tyrion said, maybe it was um, justified to burn the father because he would he refused to to kneel. But the son was a kid. He I mean, the previous season, he was played by an actual child and they had aged him up a bit, but he's still like 17, 18. And there was no justification to burn him. And then she goes to war with um, the Lannisters burns a whole bunch of people who are you know not necessarily the best of people but they're jamie's soldiers we're supposed to like jamie at this point and so i think that they did a very clear uh progression of um first she's burning bad people then she's burning slightly less bad people then she's burning the lannisters then she's burning you know the people of king's landing now i i think one of the big stumbling blocks for martin in publishing the books is trying to make a better arc for her specifically. Hmm. And I think that's what's taking so long. Isn't that like he hasn't written everything. It's he's constantly revising it to try to make it better. And I think the ending of the show is kind of proof concept uh, for why it's taken him so long. Is It's a lot of threads, but even if you were to go narrow it down to just the main threads, they're very, very, very um specific arcs that if you do them wrong people get pissed off it just in my opinion it just goes to show that there's a lot of sloppy writing in the final season because we didn't get to really see if it if daenerys was really supposed to dive into the whole who cares mass genocide of an entire city i feel like we didn't get enough of a we didn't get enough of an arc to show her to show the justification of her being like, oh, let's just murder innocent people. Because, like you said, yes, she she was get, getting darker and darker and darker with the idea that every time she killed someone, it was for less justifiable reasons. But literally murdering an entire city of innocent people felt very out of like felt very out of character for her simply because she had never she had never done that before. She had never just said screw it, the entire that scale. city. Yeah, not to that scale, but she had done that before. I mean, that was her she, her intention with coming to Westeros was to try and was to try and liberate the people from their oppressors. It's a very like yeah. American. It's a very American military style of thing, and so it's like okay, of course, of course, she was going to end that way, but just like letting an entire like taking her dragon and literally setting fire to the entire city felt so out of character for her not it, only that not only that it felt it, it felt very out of character with a lot of other people cersei's just going to stand there and do nothing she doesn't have six backup plans for how she's going to screw with people because that's how she had been the entire series the fact yeah that, but i also think that in that case cersei had always come up to people against people who were not as smart as she was not as capable as she was hmm. um and who had gotten to their positions I, I'd say that even the the High Sparrow, he didn't have the imagination to think of what Cersei could do. Uh, Daenerys was very clearly on a different level than those characters. I just feel like with the way that Daenerys's arc was handled, it was similar to the way that a lot of other people's arc was handled. The showrunners had said, we need to get to this point. They had had a conversation yeah. with George R.R. R. Martin before that this had been mm -hmm. publicly stated. They said... So how's the series going to end? And George told them it's going to end like this. So the ending they came up with is based off of what he wants his books to end oh, like. No, and I the guarantee you 
all of the plot points in the last season are from from episodes four on like from george r, r. martin right. daenerys is going to burn king's landing in the book uh bran is going to be king the big problem the big problem with this is that they had tried to scrunch it all together in such a short period of time that the pacing felt completely unnatural why is cersei standing there doing nothing why is daenerys all of a sudden burning an entire city why does the dragon not care that john ends up killing ends up killing uh, daenerys it's like the dragon's just like oh you killed daenerys okay and then he just takes her body and leaves it feels so unnatural for all these characters because we haven't had enough time to establish the why that's my yeah. biggest problem with the Can final season is that we don't get the why why are people doing this it never has enough time to solidify or explain i have issues with the other seasons of game of thrones but they at least had decent pacing to them it felt like we were moving at a good pace the final season and a half rushed to the ending simply because the showrunners or the producers or somebody decided this is where we would I end i think there are i think a lot of people credit that reasoning to why it was rushed i don't necessarily agree i don't know that it's not that but i also know that a big factor was the fact that this was the biggest budget season of any tv series ever season eight specifically it's not like they were cheap on this mm -hmm. this was the biggest budgeted season of any tv show ever um i think there are a couple coming out soon that may surpass that but it the 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 reason some of the reason for that was literally it was impossible to film something to the scope that the books would necessitate and and this is kind of when martin was creating the series he started creating it in 91 the first one was published in 96 mm -hmm. and he specifically was writing this as a reaction to having worked as a screenwriter in hollywood he worked on beauty and the beast he i think he worked on a couple other shows in the 80s but he specifically wrote this series to be unfilmable to be impossible to film so the fact that seasons one through four were filmed is incredible and but it's a a constant ex escalation um and so like it on it obviously became even hard to write by books four and five it took him uh two years to write book one or five years to book write book one he probably had some of book two already written by that point and he had to move it into book two so two years to write book two two years to write book three then at that point it's expanded to the point where it takes him five years to write book four and six years to write book five and he it's been nine years now since book five and he's still working on writing that so it's just this constant ex escalation um and so it wasn't the it, it at least not entirely the fact that they were just done with game of thrones and that they wanted to get it done with it's literally an impossible task to tie everything up um satisfactorily and people will say oh they'll give as much money as they need but it's also not just money it's time mm -hmm. they weren't going to have a decade to film season eight like book six is taking um and already we have first of all the longest battle in film history and the fact that that that's the battle at winterfell and the fact that that feels like not long enough is kind of the point and when i say it's not perfect i mean it's not only not perfect it couldn't ever be perfect mm -hmm. and the fact that we're grading it on a curve where we expect it to be perfect is unfair and ridiculous 
Um, the, go ahead. Yeah, the other issue I had was with the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, I, like, for those of you listening, my background is, uh, I mean, we all have a film background in some way, but my background specifically, I studied a lot of uh, screenwriting and stuff at university, and it feels like the Battle of Winterfell, um, I, I mean, I can't, I can't figure out how else it would have happened, but the big issue is the entire series the foreboding ongoing like problem everything is eventually going to reach is going to end up like this were the white walkers the white walkers were the big issue that everyone was going to have to deal with at some point and while the battle of winterfell i think was a great episode um it kind of feels like it ends we just ended the entire series with the deus ex machina by the way Arya comes in and stabs the dude and that just takes care of the entire problem. Now we've got this big foreboding problem that had been building up for seasons and seasons done with. And we still have, what, two, three episodes three, left? Three episodes. Yeah, and we, actually, that's one of the things I like best about season eight. Because I, to me, and and I know I am like super in the minority on this, I always thought that the, the others, as they're called in the books, or the White Walkers, were kind of a MacGuffin. They, they add an element of tension underneath this um short-term plot of mm -hmm. the game of thrones and then the, the clash of kings and um the invasion of westeros but i always felt like the white walkers were a MacGuffin, um meaning that they were not the so so let me uh kind of backtrack so george r martin has a, a quote from william faulkner that he always like in every speech he gives quotes and it's the only story worth telling is the conflict within the human heart, uh, meaning that like um, man versus himself is the classic um, formulation of that, mm -hmm. is really the only thing that's worth telling. And I think that the others were a good world building thing and uh, a very um, well done um, background menace, but they aren't interesting as a, a problem to be overcome. If I may you summarize this with a metaphor, Global warming is a bigger threat than American politics, mm -hmm. but solving global warming will not fix the problems with American politics. No, it, it definitely has, like, my big issue with the White Walkers is that they, it, I mean, what would you say is the, if you were to boil Game of Thrones down to the base elements, what were, what what is it? Is it man versus nature, man versus man, man versus it's, self? Everything. It's largely man versus definition self. Of power. Right. I think all of the, the interesting the best characters in the show in, to a lesser degree in the show and this is one of the things where the books obviously do it better but it's because they're 1200 pages each and they take a decade to write but all of the characters go through this conflict within themselves Tyrion goes dark in season after he kills his dad um, he is not a good person and he's arguably not even a good person by like good book two and the the, the show kind of sanitizes that mm -hmm. jamie is a lot of people's favorite character and that's because he's this person you think is a villain and he's really not and he's kind of a, a morally great character but like you learn about him first as the villain and then you realize oh everything he's done is justified um cersei I, is my favorite character and i think you you're shaking your head. Are you talking about Jamie yeah. or Cersei there? No, I, I yeah. think the problem with Jamie, Cersei, and Tyrion was the fact that, you know, they're supposed to be the villains, but for the sake of uh, television programming, all of them are way too pretty. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think that they are supposed to be villains. I think they're supposed to be the antagonists. But I think. Well, yeah, the but they're too point... pretty to be antagonists. For for television's sake, point. yeah. You know, I mean, look at Jamie. No, He's I like think... a freaking blonde god. And then look at yeah, okay. Cersei. Well, she Cersei's Lena point. freaking Haiti. And then you got freaking yeah. Peter Dinklage who just stole America's heart. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, but the, they're I too they're that's... too beautiful for anybody to hate them. The point of it is they're not mush, mustache twirling villains from like a 1930s serial. They're fleshed out realistic characters, and villains in real life aren't always although there's a very particular one who is um yeah Yeah, but i think that's the point that that's the point that i'm trying to make is that people aren't comfortable with that as far as television is concerned your typical television audience isn't comfortable with your villain not being a mustache they're not like i don't think that's true anymore though there's there's even an argument especially no 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 no, no. hear me out hear me out hear me out because there's an argument that if you look at most of your heroes in like uh your typical in typical media they all part their hair to the right when every single villain parts their hair to the left. We're, mm. we're used to villains looking off. We're used to villains looking, even the ones that aren't ugly, we're used to them looking off. We're used to them looking strange. We're used to them looking villainous. And if the character doesn't look villainous, I think people aren't comfortable with the fact that, you know, it's like, oh, this person is a good looking person, but they're acting in the manner that we're not used, we're not comfortable with a good looking person behaving. And that's what uh, television audiences are got thrown off, and I think that helped throw off the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, how are you gonna? How are you writing Tyrion as the proper characterization for Tyrion mm-hmm. when you know America loves him? Yeah, that that was one of my big issues. Like the whole idea of reality versus fantasy. How much Game of Thrones wants to try and make the fantasy genre a bit more realistic. If I may, if I may pull up a quote by the. Uh, by the modern philosopher uh, Peter Shukoff and uh, and uh, Lloyd Alquist, uh, okay. talking about George R. R. Martin. Well, talking about George R. R. Martin's work versus, say, someone like uh, J. R. R. Tolkien. The phrase that they use is, "We all know the world is full of chance and anarchy." So yes, it's true to life for characters to die randomly. But newsflash: the genre is called fantasy. It's supposed to be unrealistic. And the big thing. It's supposed to be unrealistic. Epic rap battles of history. Yes, everyone, I'm quoting epic rap battles of history. But they make a damn point. The entire series, like, look at the world that we're in right now. Look at how bleak everything is. And Game of Thrones, over the last nine years, have decided that to push this idea that bleakness is just sort of par for the course. Like, yeah, this is just how the world's going to be. It's like people want escapism. That's what they strive for. That's the whole purpose of the genre of fantasy is to escape, escape into a world that is different from ours with magic and dragons and weird stuff. And when you see characters who are these, who are just able to get away with awful, horrible things and seeing them stay in positions of power, you then just think to yourself, God, what's even the point? It creates this sort of nihilistic entropy that you just can't seem to get away from. And that's my biggest issue with the show is that it just, every time you thought there would be some semblance of hope, it was deliberately taken away from you. And it's just, God, it's just so difficult to deal with when you're watching season after season of characters getting killed off until finally at the very end, 
when everything just rushes to some kind of conclusion and it feels like we didn't even get a proper payoff for half of the people who just ended up dying randomly but of course that was the whole purpose wasn't it characters die randomly that's just how life is oh sure. so i would i i would disagree with you so the the genre of fantasy and, that that people often categorize game of thrones and a song of ice and fire as is called grimdark uh from warhammer 20 what blah 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 whatever it is mm -hmm. in the grimdark future blah 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 whatever the quote um but i disagree wholeheartedly that a song of ice and fire and game of thrones are grimdark i think it is high fantasy and you were just tricked as to who the main character is so john snow i think is the main character um, and I think what all of the twists are, are, oh, this person, Ned, is not the main character. You thought he was in book one. And then Rob, you think he's the main character. Then he's not the main character. Then you think Daenerys is the main character. She's not the main character. The main character is Jon Snow. He is the literal song of ice and fire. His father is fire. His mother is ice. So I think that a lot of what people think of Game of Thrones as and we're, we're talking larger scale now, not just season eight, is they think that it's just unending bleakness when it's really not. I mean, if it were unendingly bleak, Jon Snow would have stayed dead. Um, and then uh, Daenerys would have just taken the throne after turning into uh, Walter White, right? Uh, but it's, that's not what the story is. The story is typical high fantasy. It is the hidden prince farm boy who doesn't know he's king and becomes king at the end. Now there is a slight change. Except, yeah. except. now technically, well, Bran's the main character the whole time. Well, yeah, it was always Bran. Also set up from the beginning. And yes, I will say that is the one thing where it's. But that's also not grimdark. John doesn't die, so it's it's high fantasy. There is a twist at the end, but it's not a grimdark twist. So here's the other thing: is I don't think that I think the main reason why Bran as king didn't work. And I think this is a little bit behind the scenes is that kid's not the best actor, right? Um, and I think that the showrunners knew that kid was not the best actor and they knew that in order for his character to work prior to the ending, they'd have to kind of make him into a robot, which then when you get to the ending didn't work. But as far as the story goes, and if we're gonna go into the larger context, the books, Bran becoming king has been foreshadowed since the very first chapter. Yeah, especially when he saw Sansa the night she got married. Well, she was so beautiful that night. I don't know where that's going. But, uh, I'm kind of curious to what you mean. Uh, no, Nick, I don't know what he means, but but let me get to my point first. Yeah, Who's Professor X in it over here. <laughs> I think you're you're saying something else that I'm saying. So him being being king, he is the first chapter in the first book, right? And then he spends all of book one and two approximately uh, seasons one and two learning the political side of things right he learns so um first his dad leaves and he has to watch rob being rob the lord and trying to hold hold court in winterfell and then rob leaves and so then bran is the person who's in charge of winterfell and he has to learn how to be a good ruler he has to learn that you don't know everything you have to listen to maester lewin and then you have to solve conflicts between say the phrase and the the reeds and then he spends all of books three and five he's not in book four that's a whole thing um but he spends all of books three and five learning the magical elements of everything and the whole story is kind of about 
the the dichotomy of the the fantastical and the political and i would say that him being king is kind of a marriage of the fantastical and the political aspects of the story and they didn't do a good job setting it up but i do think that as a plot point is a good plot point and I know I'm um, now arguing that A Dream of Spring, the novel, is good and not season eight. This is one of the areas where I do agree. The plot point, I, I actually, my whole thing is all of the plot points in season eight are good. They're going to magically defeat the others. Who the fuck knows how they're going to do that? And in the books, it's probably going to be like a wild LSD trip where Bran is like fighting the others in like another spiritual realm, right? They're not going to do yeah, that in the show. X. Yeah, um, <laughs> He's going to Professor X it with the Shadow King. They're going to battle the Astral Plane. Just pushed to her limit. She burns everything down. Um, I think that's, I mean, honestly, that is the best episode of that season to me. And I agree that it's not the best motivated turn, but it is there from the beginning. Can I add to that Brand? statement? Yeah. Because I'm sorry, I'm waiting for a long time before you guys get back to Daenerys, because what is this for a while? So, I disagree with the idea that Danny's twist comes out of nowhere because of the episode before it. When um, Missandry is killed, like, like about leading, okay, sorry, backing up. Leading up to that, I feel like there might have been a chance for a peaceful resolution with Danny. But the moment they capture and kill her, her handmaid and her best friend at this point, and her like last words are, you know, kill them all, essentially, I think that was the moment where it was like, there was too much pain, too yeah. much hate. And so the plan was, of course, they're going to invade the city, but when the bell rings, that's how we know they surrender and we stop the fight. Okay, yeah, we're all agreed. Okay, we can do that. But it goes so quickly to the point where Danny's like, okay, we're in there. We've got them. They're ringing the bells already. And I think there's sort of a snap in that moment where it's like, no, my anger, my, my, my lust for vengeance after losing my best friend is not satisfied at this point. Yeah. And I think it's the combination of that loss and that anger, that rage, maybe coupled a bit in with her heritage because they talk about the mad king yeah. and, and whatnot with with the um sorry blinking on their names the um targaryens, sorry. targaryens um yeah. i feel like there is a combination of that but but because of that all that build up to me i never felt like danny's twist was surprising i never felt like it was rushed because i felt like they gave her a good enough reason to be that angry now yeah, and I, you can question I, the innocence yes she did kill innocence but again, you know going back when nathan said about the buildup of you know the people she killed were always those that wronged her i can i can see that coming to fruition of it's the city it's king's landing that's the problem this entire center of corruption except that what does she it. then say well, i think i get it before wait, you wait, 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 hang on so you're already go in i i have to kind of bolster um jim's point and it's not just that she lost miss sandy she had she had lost everything to this point she um believed herself she lost to be a right butt ton of dothraki she well, lost uh well, uh god what's his name so Jorah. Uh, Jorah. So Jorah. Jorah. Two Jorah. of her dragons. She lost, she lost a butt ton of Dothraki. She lost her other dragon. She lost her status because once she found out about John, yeah. like, oh, there's yeah. a threat she to her. her. She lost basically, she knew as soon as like this is over, everybody's just going to be like, well, John's, John's a guy, yeah. so yeah. John's king. Even if you two get married, we're just going to listen to John because, yeah. you know, he's a dude. <laughs> so she lost any and all route to power right so it's like she she lost her brother she lost i mean this is going back to the beginning of the show she lost her husband she lost two of her dragons she lost um her closest advisor he she lost her closest friend and she was about to lose the thing she'd been going for the entire time 
and she did snap, but it's not that it was unmotivated. I think um, people wanted her to be the hero. And I think there's also a lot of um, behind the scenes social politics and why people were pissed off about that. Mm. It, and it does feel a little icky to have the the female protagonist become the villain and the male protagonist has to kill her. Um, like I said, this is kind Welcome of- Welcome to the X-Men. Well, this is kind of a high fantasy, typical high fantasy story that tricked you into thinking it was grimdark. I gotta ask, why do you keep bringing up X-Men aside from the actress for uh, Sansa? Like, is no. there something here that I'm missing? Daenerys is in that too. Phoenix. <laughs> like it's Dark Phoenix, it's the Dark Phoenix saga. It's Holy literally shit. the Dark Phoenix saga. Holy you've got shit. Professor never... X in a freaking wheelchair. You've got, the, you've got the girl who's supposed to be the good guy, but then goes dark and burns everything. Holy and then she's shit. killed by the guy who loves her, who's the <laughs> you know, wild man with the beard and the freaking hair. You know, and he kills her by stabbing her to death. Come Holy on, this is, this is X-Men, the last stand in in television form. Oh my god, I never noticed this. You're so right. All you need is oh freaking god. Magneto, and this would, this would be X-Men. Oh my god, you're so right. So I would like to point I mean, out that we are technically argue that the Night King was was Magneto. So <laughs> I will give the floor to Ian to give his final remarks, and then I will give my final remarks. How about that? Okay. Well, final statements. Let's go. Let's hear it, Ian. So God, where do I even go with this? Um. So the the show itself, the biggest issues I have with the final season were that we we didn't we didn't get enough time to we. We didn't get enough time to really is like establish why characters are doing what they're doing. Their motivations just seemed to sort of change so quickly during the final season, mostly due to the fact that it was that it was scrunched for time, not stretched for time, scrunched for time, um, down to only six episodes after the previous season had been scrunched down to seven. It feels like too much, too many things happened in such a short period of time, and that we never really got actual closure or proper a proper reasoning as to why these characters were making the decisions they were. Uh, and if we had had maybe a bit more time to, I don't know, maybe take out maybe take out a couple of the big action scenes and sit people down and have them actually talk about why they're doing what they're doing or show a character or two. Like, I don't know. It, it just feels like, to me, too many characters felt very out of character during their final season. It felt like people were just making decisions simply because the show had to end and not necessarily because it was the right time for the show to end. I guess that's my biggest problem was that was with the pacing of the final season. Kind of killed everything else. Okay. And Nathan, time for your closing argument. Yeah. So and I actually don't even disagree that the final season felt rushed. I don't know if I think it was as rushed as most people do because it was, they were like 90 minute episodes. Um, but I think there are a lot of people who say that season eight ruined all of game of thrones and i think that's ludicrous no like there are people who and i know you're not saying this and i think we're on the same page with that mm -hmm. but i think that season eight had a good outline and it was whether because of you know fatigue on the filmmakers part people will attribute um you know greed in getting their star wars trilogy which they lost um to this or whether it was literally because it's an unfilmable impossible to make um conclusion as intended by the original author it did feel rushed um but i think all of the plot points that happened 
were good. And I think, as my contention is, season eight is a C plus. It's passing. It's not even, you know, barely passing. It's it's good. It's just not great, and people were expecting great. And I think expectations were so stratospheric that it was, one, never going to live up to those expectations. And two, people have now an unrealistically high view of seasons five through seven. Um, season eight is not a radical departure from season seven. I think it's on par with season seven. I think in parts is slightly better um, because they actually had a good number of plot points from Martin. Um, so like I said, if uh, the crown doesn't fit, you have to acquit. I'm not voting innocent. <laughs> I'm voting not guilty. Okay. And Caleb, final statements. Um, okay. I think um, rewinding a bit back in with with closures of characters, mm -hmm. um, Danny's reasonings are highly developed, but there is a lack of her process. We don't get time to see her process of uh, dealing with like the deaths of her friends and deaths of the dragons, and and so when she snaps, for some for a lot of people, it's out of left field. Like to me, it wasn't out of left field, but like we didn't get to see her her reasonings kind of uh, develop within her. And one thing I forgot to mention before, uh, I think there's a lack of duels in the final season. Like yeah, we get the war at Winterfell. But I don't, I don't think we get like we get the hound versus the mountain, and we get Jamie versus that random guy and Greyjoy. Yeah, Greyjoy, and I don't. I, I think there should have been more another duel, at least one more duel to kind of close out the endings. And um, I think that's that, that's that, that's my closing statements. Okay, and Jim, let me hear your closing statements. All right, so I t I am in agreement with Nathan on this uh, in that. I can understand why people didn't like seasons seven and eight as much as the rest of the series, but I don't think they are that much worse than the series as a whole. I can understand the desire to have a bit more time. Maybe it would have been better to have an extra episode placed somewhere near the end just to give people time to have these conversations. Because we did get that for the Battle of Winterfell. We had a, a time before the fight where we had people sitting around talking about how they were feeling about being on the doorstep of death. And maybe that helped make that feel better than the burning of King's Best Landing. Best episode of season eight. Maybe. Um, but overall, I feel like there were enough um, hints, tips, breadcrumbs, whatever you want to call them, that the things that were that happened were set up um, to happen. Um, I also feel like, you know, in a couple decades maybe, when after we have the last books of the series, I would not be surprised if this show got what I like to affectionately refer to as the Brotherhood treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm referencing Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal mm -hmm. Alchemist Brotherhood, where the show uh, was being done during the book time, but the show got ahead of the books, wrapped up their own story, and then once the books finished, they made a new show that went along the same storyline as the, as the as the books. And honestly, I really like both uh, uh, very well. I think they both handled their stories well. I would not be surprised if some time down the road, decades from now, we see a new Game of Thrones show that follows the books. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe that'll be more well-received and this will go into obscurity. Maybe it'll be put on co comparative pedestals. Maybe it'll be like old Trek versus new Trek. Pick your poison kind of thing. I don't know. But um, for what it is, I did enjoy Game of Thrones uh, in all of its bleak darkness. I found that as a nice change of pace 
from sometimes the overly saccharine fantasies that we can get from time to time. Um, I will I will ask one question though to you all. Do you think so? We we've discussed that um, the two seasons, you know, them being shorter, you know, rubs the wrong way. And even though the episodes were longer, do you think it would have been more well received if instead of a seven episode and six episode season, we had had one? 13 episode season, not changing the stories at all, but just one flow through seven and eight. Do you think that would have been better received as a 13 episode season than as the two split? I think one, yes. And two, that was, I guarantee you the thought process on the showrunners. So basically there are seven books or will be, and each season is one of those books. And I think um, season seven and eight were both supposed to be the final book and they I think chose because of budgetary reasons and logistical reasons to split it into two seasons. And I think that did a disservice to them when they, as far as popular reception. Possibly because doesn't season seven end with the reveal of Jon Snow's identity. Yeah. And so that's why season eight feels like everything's changing really quick. Cause like people are reacting to that revelation and changing their minds about things. And maybe that's why we see a lot of these, um, why did they suddenly do this? Well, because they learned the thing we learned at the end of season seven. And so season eight mm -hmm. has that bubble around it. Yeah. I don't, okay. think, I don't think it would have changed people's opinions. I think people still would have had the same one if it was 13 episodes straight. Mm. Okay. okay. So while you have been doing your final statements, I have been deliberating and I have come to my verdict. You're this type of judge, a judge and jury? Yeah, I'm judge and jury <laughs> and executioner if necessary. <laughs> And bailiff. My, my chosen method of execution is also fire, ironically. <laughs> so I have rendered my verdicts, several verdicts, because there's several charges. On the charge of, is Game of Thrones as bad as everyone says it is? I render a verdict of not guilty by reasons of directorial insanity. Because Weiss and Benioff were clearly insane. And they honestly thought that they were going to get to do a Star Wars movie after this. Is <laughs> entirely beyond me especially considering how lucasfilm did uh lord and miller you so, mean disney yeah well lucasfilm disney no no no, no lucasfilm disney. Right, because, what's your, uh, no, your no. judgment on season eight <laughs> my judgment on season eight was uh let's see here on the charge of whether or not season eight was rushed guilty as charged it was, in fact, rushed. On the charge of whether or not season eight was as bad as everyone says it was, not guilty by reasons of directorial insanity. On the charge of whether or not the Game Bowl was awesome, guilty <laughs> the Game Bowl was awesome. We didn't even get to awesome. that. We didn't even get to that. What was the yeah. point of all this? <laughs> on, the charge, on the charge of whether or not this entire season was really just a buildup to George R. R. Martin's rewriting of the Phoenix Saga. Guilty. <laughs> and right. on the charge of whether or not this was a great episode of the podcast, well, I guess you're just going to have to find out because that is where that comes in. Yet another it's episode you people. of the Just Catching Up podcast. And now, you ladies folks. and gentlemen, you, you are just, you are all caught up. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. You could be listening to any podcast in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. And yes, that was a Jay-Z reference. I want to thank <laughs> our good friend Nathan for providing our themes. You can check out his website at NathanTownsComposer.com. And 
once again, as always, we love you. I love you. This is the judge in the north whose name is Sean signing off for the Just Catching Up podcast. Everybody say bye. 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 Bye.